Welcome to What's Working in Washington. I'm Jonathan Aberman. Today, the cloud explained. Where is all that data stored? The data centers themselves today are really physical buildings that you and I used to call warehouses. But they're purpose-built, and they're purpose-built for a reason. They're purpose-built to be a very conditioned environment. Have you ever been driving along and noticed a really big building that maybe should be a Best Buy or a bowling alley, but all you see is a small front door? Have you ever really wondered where all those wonderful cute cat photos or photos you have of your children actually are stored in the cloud? Well, data centers are the answer to both those questions, and they are a really big business here in our region. I've asked Lee Kessler, Chief Commercial Officer of Vantage Data Centers, to come in and talk about why data centers are so much a part of a region's economy and why they matter. Tell our listeners, what is a data center? A data center really is the foundation of the type of lifestyle that all of us are leading today. We're using our phones, we're using computers, we're doing online learning. Higher education facilities are getting the benefit of being able to reach more students because of the online technology. And all of that activity has to reside through a network and inside of a data center. You know, I'm old enough to remember mini computers where we all had terminals and everything was stored in a big box someplace, a mini computer or, or a larger computer. It looks in some ways like the world has just gone in a big circle. We've come up with the same in the same place. Is that right? It sure seems that way. I mean, the, the benefit, though, of today's compute is that all of us can use the information and technology that's now located in a central repository in what will be a campus of data centers, and it's now known as the cloud. Mm -hmm. The cloud is that opportunity for all of us who have the ability to connect to the Internet to not need all that computer horsepower sitting at our desk or sitting in a room down the hallway where we can't get in and get to our files. Now we can have it all on our phone. We can have it on a tablet. Students in elementary school can have access to it, and they can use the things that people use in the business world, even at their young age through elementary school, middle school, et cetera. So now what we have is a world where we're all connected. We have all these devices to connect us through the speed of light. We're exchanging information, but that information has to exist someplace. And that's where the physical and the cyber world really come together. And that's what data centers are, right? That, that's right. So the, the data centers themselves today are really physical buildings that you and I used to call warehouses. But they're purpose-built, and they're purpose-built for a reason. They're purpose-built to be a very conditioned environment, to utilize electricity very efficiently so it's good for the environment. We all use electricity, and one of the big things we want to be cognizant of is our impact on the environment. How you generate electricity, whether it's through coal or nuclear or solar or wind, all of that matters to those of us that are pushing the edge on technology. And data centers in those big warehouses, while they consume a lot of energy, we are big proponents of using renewable energies as an example that make the world a better place or trying to be a good neighbor. And that's one of the things Vantage is focused on, sustainability and, and corporate uh, accountability for ourselves. Well, let me talk to you a little about that, because it, it does strike me that when you look at things like uh, autonomous vehicles, electric vehicles, computing power and so forth, What's underappreciated is that unless you take these technologies and put the power generation in, in a single location, it's really hard to achieve efficiency. So what you're telling me is that the data center industry started as a warehouse for data, but now what you're doing is you're actually using that proximity to do what, solar power? I mean, how, how exactly is this manifesting itself? The, the benefit of these intense users of electricity, data centers as we know them, allow the utility companies in whatever part of the country you're in, but let's just talk about this region, which is the largest data center market in the world now. 
72 plus percent of all internet traffic runs through Ashburn, Virginia or Northern Virginia, the Washington, D.C. capital region. 72 percent. 72 percent. And that number can be validated through other presentations you can reach through like Loudoun County Economic Development or the Virginia State Economic Development Office. So there is an inherent responsibility for all of us who have been able to build those businesses here in this geography to make sure also that we're using the natural resources as efficiently as we can. So the use of electricity in this market by data centers is allowing Dominion Energy in particular, as an example in Virginia, to go after more types of renewable energy programs because they have a higher base load of users because of data centers. And those data centers also make it good for you and I in our home and the schools that are out there today that our kids are going to that are not populated 24 by 7 because we go to work every day. Kids are only in school certain hours during the day. The cost of electricity and the less waste that those that those facilities have are benefiting because of data centers 24 by 7 use of electricity that allows the utility to make more electricity that won't be wasted because we're steadily using the electricity. When you mentioned 72%, a mind map floated. It came to me that I hadn't thought about before. And I visualize the internet now almost like a big railroad, a lot of railroad tracks, and that our region is the junction house for all these railroad tracks that run all over the country. Is that really what what's happened? Is that is when you say 72%, is that are we the junction box for the for the web? Yeah, it's interesting. You know, I've been in this business too long. My kids used to laugh at me because they they didn't know what I really worked in, right? Yeah. I told them I worked in data centers and they were like, well, what does that mean? And that's hard to explain to a middle school. Of course, they're now old and they're adults and they understand what the world's about. But the data centers and the region that we are in here in Northern Virginia is a very unique Petri dish, okay? Because technology itself, well, it was founded in Silicon Valley. Vantage Data Centers was founded in Silicon Valley 10 years ago. We have one of the biggest campuses in Silicon Valley. So we understand what it's like to be a pioneer. Well, here in Northern Virginia, and I'm from the Mid-Atlantic, I'm from Maryland and from Northern Virginia, we are the forefront of the intersection, as you've called it, of technology and the consumer's utilization of that technology because the network traffic and the fiber optic cables that were built back in the early days of the internet with AOL as an example in Ashburn, um, and then DuPont Fabros, which was acquired by Digital Realty, large consumption of power and compute capacity was intersecting in Ashburn because the network was here first. So Northern Virginia had this very unique opportunity. Thank you, Steve Case. Thank you, mm -hmm. Ted Leonsis, for starting that. But the bottom line is, is that the fiber that was put in the ground was the foundation for allowing this industry to grow here in Northern Virginia. Do you think that the proximity of the data centers is also an entrepreneurial advantage to startups and small businesses? Actually, I do. And it's interesting that you bring that up because, uh, you know, in my time here, and I've been in this industry now for almost 20 years, we like to spend time giving back. We see a lot of startups in the early days of Facebook. You know, I knew those guys when they were in a small office in Palo Alto. But that's in California where you expect technology startups. But if you look back over the last eight years and you look at that first big incubator, 1776, Donna Harris, right? I mean, they started something that is now propagating throughout Northern Virginia, Maryland, and it's even working its way up towards Philadelphia now. And they were the pioneers. And I think that's what makes it important to be a, a person involved in technology in Virginia is we've got a big, strong cyber presence. Okay. We all know that, that that's a very good foundational part of the business here for technology. But we've got this internet traffic in Northern Virginia, and we have all the things that go in and around that industry. You've got engineering and architecture. You've got software development. You've got the higher education. Uh, I heard one of your guests here 
talking about Amazon's second headquarters, the gentleman from um, uh, George Mason University, mm-hmm. Angel, I think uh, his Cabrera. name is. Mm-hmm. And that is an absolute fact that the higher education facilities are going to be another reason that this ecosystem will continue to thrive. Well, I got to tell you, Lee, it was great having you here. Your enthusiasm is palpable. And I love that you moved here from Silicon Valley to bring that kind of attitude in our region. So thanks for joining us. Well, thank you. It's all about the kids. And now, non-billable consult with legal expert Andrew Sherman. Employee ownership. What are the pros and cons? So let's say you own 100% of your company, but your employees are pressuring you to offer them some type of ownership, and you're worried about losing them if you don't. What are your alternatives? Or perhaps you're listening today as an employee at a company that's been wondering, how can I get in on the ownership of this company, especially if it's sold one day for hundreds of millions of dollars? So what are the alternatives? First, there's outright stock grants. This is obviously where the company grants to its employees a certain amount of ownership, and that ownership is essentially vested right away. Those are compared typically to option plans, which have some type of a vesting schedule or performance conditions where the stock is dribbled out over time according to a certain schedule. Those types of plans come in both qualified and non-qualified versions, and the difference between those two are usually stock-driven. But the point I really want to emphasize today is as follows. Many people think they want to own your company, and they actually don't. Do they really want to be up on Thursday night worrying about payroll? Do they want to be a guarantee on the bank loan? Do they want to have the other obligations that come with business ownership? What are some of the non-stock options that are available to be an owner of the company? There's a wide variety of them. One is called a phantom plan. In a phantom plan, you create a bucket, essentially, of stock-like rights. There's also various bonus plans, profit participation plans, profit sharing plans, Stock appreciation rights, or SARs, which create essentially a tracking stock within your company to allow people to benefit from the value that they create in the company as it grows, but without actually having ownership. The bottom line is, what's right for you versus what rights for your employees are a delicate balance. Get it right, figure it out, and don't just randomly give out stock because people are pressuring you for ownership. It could be a decision that you really regret down the road. That was your non-billable consult with legal expert, Andrew Sherman. Thanks to our sponsor, Tandem Product Academy. If you're looking to grow a software technology business and you're past your first five employees or your first half a million dollars in revenue, their free educational program will teach you how to grow your business. Supported by a broad group of our region's leading business organizations and local governments, Tandem Product Academy is free to participants. Learn more at tandeminnovate.com. Thank you for joining us on What's Working in Washington. Our executive producer is Tracy Madigan, online writer Barbara Ulrich, music provided by two D.C. region bands, Two Car Living Room, and The Sunbathers. I'm Jonathan Aberman. Thanks for listening. See you next time.